Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you all comfortable? Sitting comfortably. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so um, an official welcome to the latest DNI Spy episode. Um, I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. So we promised a candid discussion on those tricky topics that can sometimes leave people feeling really uncomfortable. So it's important to note that our podcasts are always about action. So we're going to be talking a lot about inclusion and what we can do about it. Fab. And today we have Olympian and Team GB medalist. So let's welcome our guest, Annika Anora. Um, but today's podcast we are talking about bias and bias stems from our kind of natural instinct to survive um, and I guess to have bias is to be human um, so yeah what are your thoughts Julie? So as usual I talk about definitions and the boring stuff because oh, I love all doctor. that sort of stuff <laughs> so uh, when we talk about bias um, it's 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 a preference or an inclination towards or against something or someone so that's an interesting sort of 10 words or so anyway because it talks about towards or against so bias necessarily isn't always a negative thing because it can be biased towards something um so i think we probably lay out our cards now and say let's talk about it in terms of it being a negative thing because you know, there's lots of talk about you know discrimination, and in that can be positive, and negative. But let's let's focus today on po- uh, the, sorry the negativity that can come around race and bias and gender and all those different types of demographics that we we really frequently look at in terms of bias. Yeah. So, Annika, you are very well known as a a proud scouser. Um, I think you know yes. that's that's you know that that comes through everything I listen to. You know, you're very proud of your roots, and I think I'm um, a, nor- a fellow northerner, um, so nice. Manchester. Um, so we won't talk we won't talk about that. But um, in your book, you um, you talk um, you talk about a lot about um, you know in one in one kind of on one hand you were considered too black. And mm-hmm. on others, you know, you were too Nigerian, um, and, and that real push pull of of the different sides to your identity. And I guess what we were really keen to understand is what's your earliest recollection of maybe experiencing that bias. Um, my earliest recollection, I would probably say, probably when I was in primary school, when you, because um, I think we touched on it just previously but it is like something as simple as people not really understanding how to pronounce your name or getting it right because in actual fact Annika's not my real name so my government it, it is let me rephrase for one thing from being an imposter <laughs> and I'm not um it, it is my name it's part of my name so there's an NW before it which is like basically like Wanyika which is the full pronunciation but um no, because no one could get it right when I was a child. I just always use Annika, and then it 
it, you know, we, there was always a day where we had, um, what did we have? What was it? Uh, supply teachers. Yeah. So they would, you, you'd have your normal teacher who would do the class register every day. Any moment I had a supply teacher, that's when I discovered what anxiety was because everything, all the children's names are in alphabetical order. You know, yours is O. So not only are they going to butcher your first name, but they're also going to destroy your surname as well. So it's just little things like that I began to understand. Um, and, you know, they apologise and they're like, I'm really sorry if I've got this wrong. Um, and, but then, you know, you got kids laughing at you and they're mm. like, Haha, they can't get your name right and all mm. of this thing, all the stuff like that. Whereas now I look back and I always think, I've never, I've, I don't always feel like at, in times, at moments I've had to dilute myself to fit a mold or aesthetic or whatever. Whereas now I think I, I don't do that anymore. I, I know I don't because I am who I am. My name is what my name is. It's mm. not likely to change unless I get married. But other than that, um, yeah, there's, there's just been that kind of bias when it comes to names. That was probably my first real experience of it. When I was young. In your book, My Hidden Race, which is available now, um, there was a quote that I was really interested in sort of exploring more with you. Um, so you said that you were caught in a quandary that you would never get solved, that would never get solved, that you were too westernised to be considered fully Nigerian, which is what Natasha was just referring to. Uh, but in, in Britain, you were too black to ever be completely accepted. And there's so much bias wrapped up in that statement. I just wondered if you could unpick that a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with identity and finding out where you fit, but also kind of understanding your environment and how much that kind of dictates where you are, what you do, and where you want to go in life. So, I, you know, like I said, I was fortunate enough. I went to um, an all-girls school. All my friends were great. I... I didn't suffer any racism or anything in school. My school was quite multicultural. My school year wasn't, but my school in general is quite multicultural. So, but when you're surrounded by people who don't look like you and you talk about your family traditions and your culture and just kind of all of those things that aren't seen as like the generic British things that people do, um, it's hard to find people who can relate to that. That's why it was important for my family and my mom and dad to always make sure they, we had, um, so in the book I talk about how the Ebo Centre and the Nigerian Social Club played such an influential part in our lives because you go, you see other kids who were going through the same things that you are. And it's sometimes it's just those little things that you don't really, it's hard where you, where you find like it's a struggle to fit in. Um, because even though I'm, I'm confident now because it's it's taken me a long time to get to this point but back then when I was younger I wasn't that confident so I wouldn't always speak up if someone said something inappropriate or something that would deemed um racist or whatever you just kind of you, you're probably more in shock than anything or sometimes you just don't know the words to say so I think when it comes to identity that plays a huge part in how you kind of figure out the steps in your life especially growing up um in a city like Liverpool and, and from your book you know when you were growing up and you were part of that that community and that that center it seemed like a a like a, a psychologically and physically safe place for you to go 
that there was, you know, pretty much some rubbish stuff, you know, when you moved house and, you know, pretty much yeah. rubbish stuff going on. But it, it felt throughout that time that you still had that sense of community and that you had, you did have sort of a safe place. Yeah, no, I did. I did. I was, like I said, I was so fortunate because I did have, you know, good friends, good family, um, like amazing community. Um, like just just being able to have access to that just played such a huge part in you thinking to yourself, even though we're going through these, you know, racist, you know, racist, race, racial traumas, all these racial incidents, especially for me as, as a young girl, um, I always had people who I could rely on. And, you know, you realise it's not you because you think, well, something I kept always saying was like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us as a family? Um, and it's just always a small minority of people, unfortunately. So, yeah, very thankful to have those people during those years to help support us. And just, you know, despite or in spite of all of those kind of um, moments that happened, um, you know, especially while you were going through school, you did find athletics, um, <laughs> you know, and you've had great success there. Um, what what kind of like led you into down that path? And, and you know, we've we've obviously consumed um, your book, but, you know, can you can you bring that to life for us? I think it's just because I love sports. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I just remember always just loving sports. Like my older brother, Ethan, he was a professional footballer. And when you see like a sibling on TV, it's just like the weirdest feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um, but I never did athletics. I say all of that and I say I never did athletics for like the fame or the glory. Or I didn't care about none of that because mm. I didn't know what path it was going to take me on. I just so happened to be very good um at the at a time when you know i was doing well i was becoming successful but i think it's because i used to watch the olympic games growing up in the 90s um a lot of the a lot of people like denise lewis and Clifford christie colin jackson tessa sanderson kelly holmes the men's four by one team when they won olympic gold like just being inspired by all these different people mm. um but i think it's mainly the olympics because the Olympics doesn't just focus on athletics or track and field. You've got like gymnastics, you've got swimming, you've got rowing. And just to have all these different multi-events and multi-sports in, in the space of like two, two and a half week calendar, something that happens every four years, which is just mind blowing to me. <laughs> um, so just being inspired by all of those, all of my peers and all of the fellow athletes. Mm. So, as you moved through your career, um, there is a, a few things that really stood out for us when, when we were reading your book, um, and especially when we're looking at bias. So one of the things is um, the athletics headquarters um, mm -hmm. in Loughborough, and you were talking about that um, when they redecorated, there were no black athletes. Um, right. So, I mean, that's... For, for us that's that's a real clear indication of bias whether unconscious or or overt T tell us about that and you know how you dealt with it well i wanted to scream to the rooftops <laughs> when i walked in and, and seen it um i think it was i think because it was my it was my place of work like mm. the way the way you guys or anyone else they do a nine-to-five job you got an office your your place of work this was my sanctuary every single day 
So when I walk into this environment, I want to feel safe. I want to feel like, you know, I don't have to suffer any form of abuse or whatever. So when I walked into the high pack, high performance center at that particular day, it was undoubtedly just so shocking to see for me because to see so many people, so many members of the team, both Olympic and Paralympic athletes is great. But then to see no black women, to see no black men, it it, it burnt me. Mm. You know, it felt like you didn't feel seen in that moment. I didn't feel seen. And I, you know, and at that time, what was difficult about training in a center like that was there weren't that many black women. So I was the only one, probably me around that time. So that was 20, between 24. 14 and 2017 so maybe 2016 so maybe me and Asha Phillips would do um, black women training at the centre there was hardly anyone else so if it was in London we'd be at Lee Valley where it had it been a high performance centre at Lee Valley they and they'd had the same setup there's no denying there would have been a mixture yeah. of different athletes different levels and different events but it, it felt like a complete erasure and it wasn't something that I could ignore because, again, I have to walk into this place every day. Mm. Um, and it was all, and I think it was more shocking for me that you were ignored for every bit of success that you'd done. The people before me basically didn't matter. And they, mm. you know, my career came off the backs of those women, of those athletes. It wasn't, you know, I didn't just start this. And it was like, you couldn't even think, oh, I need to put up a Kelly Holmes or a Denise. Lewis or um, at the time Adina Asher Smith or Tessa Sanderson you couldn't put any of them there and there was two I remember I remember there was two pictures of the same one athlete because and their argument was um, oh well they are uh, they're a, they are a Loughborough alumni and they are also a Team GB member and I'm like and I literally said do you realise how stupid that sounds mm-hmm. that, that sounds absolutely insane that's not that's not even coming close to anything you would even think of and I think when I said <laughs> when I said that that's when they realized oh because what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you out on your mistake it's your job to go away and figure it out so that's what I did I went to the head coach at the time and you know um I was laughed at were um, you laughed at yeah because yeah, because they thought it was about me. It wasn't, it was never about oh, me. They so were they like, thought, oh, you just want your Oh, Annika, up yeah, there. Annika wants her head up there, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and that wasn't it. That, that was not it in the slightest. I couldn't care about me. It's for me, because I was doing loads of mentorship and um, speaking to like young girls in schools and stuff. I want them to be inspired by me. I want, I want like young black girls who are watching um, me on TV or Christina Hirigu to be like, oh, I want to I want to do that. I want to be the next Dina Asher Smith or I want to be the next Annika. It's always about the next generation. I was fortunate growing up when I went to Liverpool Harriers, I had Diane Allegreen. So Diane Allegreen was a former, she was a British athlete. She was a hurdler. And most, most of the sprinters in the UK are based in London or within the M25 anyway, or Birmingham. So to see Diane Allegreen, she went to the Olympics 
She went to Sydney Games. We actually went to the same school. So I broke all her school records. She was <laughs> everything to me because I had someone who looked like me, mm. someone who made you feel seen. And she would always give me advice. And then lo and behold, like we were on teams together within like the first couple of years of my senior career, which is amazing. But like, I, I need that for the next generation. I need the next generation of young black girls to be inspired by the girls who are on the team now and the girls who came before us. But how are they going to see that if they walk into a performance centre or a training centre and all you've got is a sea of white faces? And, and is it changed now then? Uh, yes. I believe it took about 18 months, but it's mm. changed. Wow. They have like one or two photos that are up there. So did um, you feel like a bit of a lone voice in that then? Did you did you have any allies to speak up for you or, or was it really just you on your own? Yeah, it was definitely just me on my own. I, I felt like, but I also felt like it was a position of power and privilege. And the reason why I say this is because I was winning medals at the time. I think if you're kind of new on the team or if you're on the team but you're not really doing anything you're not really winning medals you're just kind of floating between the sport you probably wouldn't feel maybe confident enough to say something mm. but because it because this was my place of work I want to feel like I'm being represented because the fact that you you can represent everyone else and no one else would say anything but there's a lot of black athletes who are on the team who who don't necessarily live in Loughborough or train in Loughborough, but we have relay practices up there. We have yeah. conferences, we have events like track meets there. So they want to feel like, I don't, I don't want them to walk in and say, well, where's all the black athletes, yeah. you know? So yeah, it definitely felt like it was something that I had to fight for by myself, but it was worth it. And that must have been like pretty draining. You know, we, we've been talking today also about like fatigue. And so, you know, you're trying to be mentally ready for for what you're for what you're doing and that impact that 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 bias has had then on your kind of day-to-day yeah it it definitely was sometimes you wouldn't it was really hard to talk about certain things at the time okay um just like i I mean aside from that there was you know i'd walk into the high pack with a new hairstyle because i've got afro hair so i'd have my hair out someone would say something they try to touch it and I'm like why are you touching my hair for you're not even asking I don't know where your hands have been why are you doing this yeah or it would be we'd be talking about cultural differences and someone would try to interject who's not black and instead of just asking questions like oh I didn't know that could you share more they would be like oh well I've eaten that or I've I've been there or I can get down with the lingo and it's just like Mm -hmm. now is not the time (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you don't have to force it it's okay to say you don't know and just ask questions like it's fine you don't need to pretend to be someone that you're not so I think I struggled with that in those moments where you're not always surrounded by people who are like you Mm. and I guess that brings me on to um you know, you talked about, um, in the book, you talked about a time when you felt that the sports psychologist was unconsciously biased um, towards um, towards the, the, the team. Um, yeah. Can you can you elaborate on that at all? Yeah, I can without getting sued, for sure. <laughs> flag. <laughs> I'll flag that. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it, it was just, 
it was just such a, a random thing to even say like yeah just like in in terms of the comment that she made um i don't know again whether she felt like she had to try too hard or whether she didn't understand it but we we just wanted to be treated equally that was the thing being part of the the british team uh, the british four by one team we literally just wanted equality we could see that the men's four by one they always had their own physio always had their own psychologist they always got taken care of whereas we were kind of like oh well you guys are just like the ugly stepsisters in terms of the level of support that we got mm. so when we finally got our own team psychologist and not individual ones we got a team one we thought well this is going to be great you know collaborate and add, add, added support to the team that we need because you know sometimes we'd obviously have disagreements so it was it would have been great for her had she prolonged the uh, opportunity to work with us but you know she made the comments in the team at the time there was probably 90% of the team was black um, and maybe one or two members were white and you know for the most part we always got on there was never any you know never any confusion as to who would do this or favoritism I mean at times it did feel like that but mm. we would we would there was always for the most part team cohesion but then when we worked with this psychologist she basically said you know what does it feel like for the girls to be surrounded by black women all day to the two white athletes and 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 then you know there was just confusion in the room you know one person walked out another person questioned what she said and because she said it so casually I think I look back and I think you know for someone who's got this high profile job you really don't know how to communicate with individuals properly and you really I don't know where that why she felt the need to ask that question but I think after that the team could no longer work with her because if it felt like okay well you're clearly showing your bias because it felt like you were protecting the white athletes mm. over the black ones and even if something did need to be said she didn't clarify that at all because that was her opening remark so by then the damage was done and then yeah um she was no longer working with the team so that was difficult that was that was definitely difficult to to see to work with because to be honest, when you're within the team, like the British team as a whole, amongst the athletes, to my knowledge, I can't speak for anyone else, but to my knowledge, you don't experience any type of racism. Mm. But when it comes to the support staff and some of them who don't always look like you, I think they really, really struggle to navigate asking the right questions and the correct questions and have an understanding of people's cultures and identities. Um, because it's all well and good saying, oh, we're all British and we're all one. But constantly we're, we're also saying that, well, we're not treated as one. We're not treated as British. We're not treated like that because you make comments to show your bias. So, yeah, I think that was definitely tough to navigate at the time. And and you also mention it in your book that as a black woman that you live in perpetual fear of being labelled as loud, as aggressive or as cocky. So I, I guess you say that because you've had, that's a reaction to some previous bias that, that you've experienced. W would that be the case? Oh, yeah, definitely. Tell us about <laughs> <Fortunately>, that. <laughs> Why? Um, I think when people, when people meet me, sometimes they're just taken aback because afterwards, after we've had a conversation or interview, not to say like to you guys, because you guys are lovely, but like <laughs> when, we've, when I've done interviews in the past or just met people at like events or awards dinners, or whatever 
they usually always say this thing and I'm always just, why? why? Like, I don't understand why. And they, they always say, oh, I never expected you to be so sweet. I never expected you to be the person you are. And I'm oh, like, wow. what do you expect? Like, how do I? And it made me think, well, how do I come off? Do mm. I come off as? And they always say, well, you know, um, I kind of expected you to be loud. And, and I'm like, oh, so you really thought I was like, basically you're just like oh well all black women are loud and aggressive and this and that um and because we come across like that they expect us to be to do exactly the same so or they expect me to be exactly the same um so yeah i i always hated that comment and even to this day i still kind of get that comment um which is odd and then what's the other one i get the other one is oh i've never met a black scouser before no, I get that quite a bit. Yeah, you'll you'd be surprised the comments that people will like say to my face. Just and be we so brazen with it. it. It's crazy, isn't it? Because we're talking about you know 2022, and mm-hmm. you know this isn't 60 years ago. I'm I'm guessing that you're talking about recent times as well. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. of it was quite recent. They're they're very recent. You know, some people don't know where to place you, um, because they assume you're going to be a certain way. And again. It's because of that bias. Maybe they've seen it internally. Maybe they have people who've mentioned it to them. Um, yeah, it's it's just a different world, I guess. I mean, I'm going to be a bit spuddy and talk about research for a second because there's a US yeah. university that states that, um, that so there's social science research that demonstrates that you don't have to be a racist with a capital R or someone who intentionally discriminates on the basis of race to actually have implicit racial biases, which I think is, you know, I think that's probably what we're talking about as well. I think you need to break that down So for my ears. For <laughs> so it's Help basically me understand that, please, that, Dr. Julie. There's, I think it's trying to say that um, you don't have to be an out-and-out, out, you know, I hate black people to be a racist. You can have these biases, these subconscious biases to be a racist. And I know mm-hmm. it's, harsh, it's harsh words, I know. but yeah. so, so I think what that research is saying, that people do have implicit racial bias. Mm. And that actual piece of research is saying everybody across the whole globe has racial bias, um, which, I mean, that's another podcast discussion isn't it but i think what it's talking about is there is bias implicit in all of us and we did say that at the beginning didn't we that we do have bias that keeps us alive yeah but at the same time that then is something very different is what you're telling us yeah i think so yeah i am i don't think so (laughs) i am (laughs) i'm quoting someone else yeah be sure here doctor (laughs) (laughs) well i think there's so many different bi- types of bias, aren't there? And as we said, it's a, you know, to go back to the definition, it's towards or against someone. Yep. So, you know, and, and I think we can probably say that implicit racial bias is a bad thing, mm. I think. So, therefore, um, I would I think that, and that's a whole discussion that we're having. But we're not just talking about racial bias, are we? We're talking about gender bias because you're a female uh, black athlete. So we've got that layering as well. Did you yeah. ever feel that there was any bias from you um, or, or against you, sorry, because you're a woman? Or is it all, is it all wrapped up? You know, you can't se- separate being a black person and a woman. You're a black woman, therefore. Yeah, it's just, it's just always a black woman. I've never, I've, I don't know what it's like to be anything different. Mm. so so yeah so when when my friends tell me oh I didn't get this job because I'm a woman in my head I'm always 
like imagine being a black woman mm, you know yeah um but then i had my i had another conversation with my friends and she was like we we had this discussion about like uh, just the layers of it so imagine being a woman imagine being a black woman like i am and then she's like well imagine being a black woman who's gay yeah 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 and i'm like you know there's there's just so many different layers that we have to that we as just as women in general have to experience but then because we identify or, or we sit on the under the umbrellas of just different things and different areas um there are so many layers that i guess we we're not always aware of so i guess when you think about the bias and stuff like that it it, it kind of unpicks all of that mm. so just want to touch on um something and and another point from the book um that is um bias when applying for jobs um i'm keen to hear your your side of it this is something that i am forever very furious um with people kind of looking at names on applications and and kind of assuming things about people or having bias about people for for the name so tell me tell me about well let's hear your kind of side of it um and your kind of experience yeah so i think i really experienced it when i lived in london so i moved between I lived in London between 2008 and 2012. Excuse me. And when I had, by the time I got to 2008, I'd graduated um, as a full-time athlete, but also a full-time student. Wow. And I graduated from John Moores and I got my economics degree. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Is that hard Um, to get an economics degree? Always sounds dry. It was was very hard, but I really loved it because it gave me the balance away from sports. Mm. I I was kind of learning about the economy. Unfortunately, that was when the market crashed. So it was um, it was a struggle to get jobs. But I remember I did get. I actually was offered an internship at HSBC when I moved to London, but I didn't take it. I had to go to Los Angeles for like ten week training camp. Anyway, another conversation. (laughs) What I did have to do. What I did have to do is obviously find a job, um, a part-time job to work around my training. And when I would apply for these jobs, it wasn't necessarily because I was, I would get rejected and think, oh, I'm overqualified. When a pattern starts to emerge, you begin to realize that, you know, something's not right here. Mm. Like, what is it? Why am I not getting a call back or, you know, a response from these job interviews? Yeah. Um. And you feel like you're qualified for them. You know, you've got a degree. You you know, you're quite experienced in the jobs that you're, you're applying for. There's no reason why you can't. And then what I started to do, because I was getting rejection upon rejection, is I just sent, simply sent the same CV. Um, all I did was just change my name. That's it. And the same, I remember I applied for like five jobs in a row in one day. And they all got rejected. And then I applied again for them in like two days or mm. the next day. And four out of the five came back to me and was like, oh, we'll offer you an interview. Wow. I'm like, oh, look at that, you know. Um, so that was how it was. But it was really funny when you actually got to the room. Because when you got to the interview, they would always be startled because it's like, oh, well, you don't look like a Sarah. Because I, I just put random names, Sarah, Amy, <laughs> Jessica. Yeah, like Linda, whatever names names of school um my school friends or whatever <laughs> it would just be like normal English names 
Um, and they would just be like, oh, you could just see the minds go and say, well, this isn't the person who we thought it was. So again, just thinking about how people just don't understand how they don't understand that bias and what it does to people, especially people who are confidently going for roles that, you know, you're not even going to give a chance to based on the fact that they don't look good for the company or they don't look like you or you're not the person who we thought you were. So very disheartening at the time, but I guess thank God track and field, track and field worked out. <laughs> and that that bias um, with names does happen because our brain has to process so many bits of information throughout the day, like like billions of bits mm-hmm. of information it can only hold so many right so it's building that kind of those biases in your me- in your your mind or memory however you want to describe it so that it can kind of almost like come Making to those conclusions a lot quicker so it does ultimately you know it keeps us alive but like you say that then means that when they see those names they have immediate bias towards them because their brain has been make you know making those connections for us but it is so infuriating that that has been happening and you know you're not you know it's not like this was 50 or 60 or 70 years ago this is recent times yeah no it was and it was really really tough because you know you just think to yourself like well what happened you know what have we really gone through have we really taken those steps backwards Mm. where you're sitting there and you're thinking well I can't employ this person based on the name how they look their identity, all of these different factors. Whereas you just think, well, why should any of that matter? Like, yeah. why should it matter? Um, and it's so, I think it's weird for me growing up because, not growing up, but just just seeing different things and how this pattern sort of emerges. So I'll do um, a talk at a school, like a local primary school or secondary school. Let's say primary school. Some kids, if you go to predominantly white school, some children just don't have access to people of another identity or colour. Yeah. So if if you don't have that, it's going to be a shock to you when you see them, Mm. like, face-to-face, close up. I I used to hear stories. I mean, obviously, this this didn't happen to me because I obviously had black friends, white friends growing up in Liverpool. But some kids would go up until the age of 18, 19 at university where they would see someone who didn't look like them mm. and they wouldn't, and they would sit down with, um, or they would stare at like other black people or other Asian people or Muslim people. And they'd be like, Oh my gosh, you guys like really exist because they hadn't gone. They'd literally gone their whole lives, not knowing anyone who, who looked, who didn't look like them. Mm. Um, so it's, it's just so fascinating to me how, you know, people have this bias or you have that racism that stems from the household. Yeah. I always question, what are parents teaching their children? Like, how did you get into this habit of carrying this unconscious bias? Because kids kids are innocent. They don't yeah. know anything. You know, they, they're just learning from what they see on TV, what books they're being, you know, put in front of them or what they're learning from an adult. So when you hear parents or when you see parents and, you know, how they've addressed the black people in the in the past um or to this day and you just think to yourself like how did how did that become so normal for you to just kind of say that so sometimes it's not always the kids fault sometimes it's the parents and the Mm. surroundings yeah and I think school plays a big part as well so I know at the mirror at the moment they're uh, running a 
a Black History is Our History campaign to try and get more um, black history on the curriculum. Um, so I think that's yeah. a really important sort of thing that that, that they're doing for Black History Month um, because it's you're absolutely right. It's it's those um, experiences as a young age that form you. Um, so it mm. might be you know how your parents talk or your, or your friends or what's on the TV. And, and you know we were talking earlier that um, you know in the 70s and 80s there were some TV programs that were just racist, out and right yeah. racist. So you've got generations that were brought up on that sort of stuff that then you know kids were watching their parents laugh at it and therefore yeah. they think that you know and in, in, in laugh that, l- laugh i'm from birmingham only when you want something <laughs> But I do think it's, you know, it's it's not what, it's like when we're talking about bias is layered and, you know, it's intersectional. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. this is layered as well. It's not just your parents and not just your school. It, it's like your whole environment, you know, it's it's yeah. the adverts that are seen. You know, I loved the fact that in your book you said when you went to Lagos for the first time that you looked around and all the models were black and you yeah. were just like astonished. And I think that kind of thing can be really sort of, um, I don't know, uh, influential on somebody's life. Mm-hmm. It it really it really was, and, and, and you know, it it was such a shock to me at such a young age because up until that point, I hadn't seen it. You know, we didn't get. I used to buy. Gosh, I was a huge mood. Oh, I mean, I still am a huge music lover. So I used to buy Smash Hits. I yeah. used to buy Top of the Pops magazine. I used to buy Just Seventeen. All those girly magazines that teenagers always used to buy. I used to buy them. But I never saw anyone who looked like me. Even when you see like the older fashionable ones like Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Elle. Um, yeah, you just never seen anyone who looked like, like you. So when I landed in Lagos when I was young and I saw the billboards and, and the posters and it's just it was just such a sh- culture shock for me yeah. to see that. You know, I, I hadn't seen that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would like to think things are changing now like that that actually yeah. starting to change and um, you know I spoke in the book about how I had the you know having to reshoot the photos that I did in for the campaign I was doing for the shoe company that I was sponsored by and I can't imagine having to go through that now in this day and age and could you just think like how can they make you reshoot something based off the color of your skin or based off your body type you know um so yeah, I, I would hate for anyone to to go through that in this day and age. So I hope a lot of like the brands and shoe companies have actually learned from, you know, the bias that they may have carried before. And there's there's two two things that I want to link to to that. And it's just reminded me of something, but definitely to do with brands. Like I grew up and I my first job, gosh, my first job was with John Lewis. And um at the time I was 15 and we had like really strict dress code like it was very strict but I had this um amazing manager and um I still I'm like really close with her now um but she was a young black woman um working in John Lewis in a predominantly white area and it was lit you know when she walked she had such and she still does she has such big presence and she is like she has a big laugh and she's got a wicked like sense of humor but like 
you'd she'd walk through the store and people would like stop and stare because like there were so few people of color that would be in the shop and um actually thinking about brands and what's accessible one of our um one of our kind of uniform requirements was always to wear tights and actually the biggest struggle for her you know if we think I'm giving away my age but you know this is a, a long while ago um you know they didn't make tights mm. at that time that were suitable for her and you know nobody could understand that she would you know she refused to wear tights that weren't suitable for her skin and actually you know that's not an awful long time ago that's about 16 17 18 years ago something like that and you know when you think about that and and those kind of like brands now that actually we're you know we're we're further on but we're probably not where we need to be and I think when we you know when we went out to to our listeners and to followers on social media and we asked you know does bias still exist there was this again overwhelming response to say yeah 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 there is a lot of bias still out there which feels quite worrying considering you'd hope that there was more progress I don't know yeah I think I think there's undoubtedly been progress um I think it was very slow progress and then George Floyd was murdered and then there was quick progress and now I think we're seeing a decline unfortunately and it's and it's and it's a, at a corporate level, I think, but it's also in the media. I think it's in a social level. I think everything, it, it feels like it's all right now. We've done that. We can move on. Like you say, Julie, it's like a tick box exercise. I know you don't like using that <laughs> word, but it is. Mm. I think black people have been saying it for years. Like everything just feels like a tick box exercise. Um, without going into too much detail, what I would act so my so one thing I did mention in the book at the end was about how changes I want to see more changes within my organization and you know bringing the likes of Paula Dawn I speak so you know just so openly about how amazing she she was to me growing up and the position of power she's in now and then bringing Christian Malcolm in as as you know Olympic head coach ironically Christian has just been let go by British Athletics um last month and they've brought in someone who used to previously work um, as the head of sprints back into the organization. And I think, I won't say it's bias, but what I will say is optics alone make me question why on earth you made that decision. Mm. Because in this day and age, you like, they were so defensive about saying, oh, we didn't give Christian welcome the job because George Floyd died in 2020. Like, March, April 2020 or May 2020, Christian Malcolm got the job in the summer of 2020. So optics alone, you should know that this isn't going to look good on you because given that the, the sport is predominantly dominated by black athletes, a lot of the black athletes are where you get your medals from. But what we're going to do is we're now going to say thank you, Christian, so much in the last two years, but we're now going to revert back to how things were before. Mm. Like, it's it's... It just makes me question so much and I feel sorry for the athletes because like I, like I do say in the book quite a lot, the owners should not be on just Paula because um, you can't just have one visible black person in no. a senior leadership position. The whole point, aside from Christian being a great head coach, the whole point of him being there is so he's visible for everyone, for the black athletes. You know, some of my teammates were getting stopped by the police Um on the way to a track meet or on the way to a competition or on the way to training. 
And if you turn up to a, ra a race late and the your coach is asking you, well, what happened? Or you got stopped by the police or the, or the support team asking you what happened, they're not going to be able to relate to that. But someone like Christian Wood, someone like Paula Wood, so it just feels like, it just feels very backwards in terms of decisions that that are made. So I don't know. It's it's very, very frustrating to watch as mm. an observer. That sort of brings us on to our final part. Um, so we talk about inclusion is an action. Um, and we say that, um, or we ask of all of our guests, um, if you can give us one top tip that you would like our listeners to listen to, um, what would that Take be? Away. What are you saying, Natasha? Take, Take away. away. I got my words wrong again. Just stumbling for a word. <laughs> I, I was trying to be calm about it. <laughs> thanks, Annika, for bringing that up. <laughs> hey, we're a team now. Fellow, fellow Northerners. <laughs> um, I would probably say, first and foremost, buy and read my book, obviously. Oh, good one. But I think in general, just open your mind mm. open your mind read books listen to podcasts um listen to people's opinions even if you don't agree with them have an understanding as to why they've said this you know i, do, I don't think everyone likes to diversify their mind like i'm only starting and it, it drives me mad i'm only starting to understand the word woke mm. i think it's an overused term I think I feel like it's been stretched, overstretched. Mm -hmm. I think it's very draining to hear that word. Um, I think a lot of it is also to do with the current government. I think they tend to use that word as well, which doesn't help um, how people view others. Um, and yeah, it, I just feel like people need to be more open with the discussions that you made. Like you don't necessarily need to have black friends you don't need to always have that but it's okay to just like read books and you know just ha have an awareness because the thing is what I began to realize over the last couple of years is that certain people live within their own echo chamber so I remember when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor did did you know get murdered and I had a couple of my white friends message me because you know it was quite traumatic for me as a black person just to see you know kind of it all unraveled you know the mm. video and then the marches and then people not believing you so then the gaslighting all of yeah. those things and then people are like well oh my gosh Annika are you okay I'm so sorry and all of this stuff and I never realized this happened and again I would always say to them like you don't have to experience it like this isn't your life so you're not aware of what it is you may never have to experience and the likelihood is that you're never going to experience any type of racism or what are you going to do to educate yourself? Mm. So what are you doing to help yourself? Because it's so easy to turn a blind eye to racism when you don't have to suffer from it. So when you're walking in a supermarket, you're not fearful of security or or get follow, getting followed by security or the alarms going off mm. as you move in or move come out of the store or getting followed by the police. That used to happen to me a lot when I lived in London. It still kind of happens when I now between well back in Liverpool um and yeah just just those things you don't have to experience them on a day-to-day -day basis but there's nothing stopping you from asking questions doing the research and ultimately getting the work done because 
you can't carry that bias when you have children because then they're going to ask questions so yeah. I, that's why I go back and say well what are you teaching your kids what has led to them be fearful of black people or people of color Asian Muslim what has led to that you know so I always tell people open your mind read books like you can't ignore it now like ev- everything and everyone is accessible mm. and I'll leave it there amazing (laughs) amazing (laughs) no honestly thank you so much for your time this has been such an interesting conversation we really really appreciate you um, spending the time with us thank you thank Thank you for having me it's been great she was awesome wasn't she really good i really enjoyed talking to her i think she really brought a book to life actually yeah um yeah, I think um, she wasn't afraid to talk about bias at all, which we love in our guests to, to sort of really delve into the topic. No, and I think um, it can be hard, can't it, when you're just literally reading the words off a page. You need someone to add the colour, and it was really nice to have her do that. Specifically, I think, around, um, you know, she was talking about going into the training centre and, you know, all the posters being of white athletes Mm. um i don't think unless you were unless you are in that situation you you wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't necessarily resonate but i think when she spoke about it and said you know what it's like you know there's all of these black athletes that are doing great things they're delivering big things in athletics and then you walk into a training center and it's full of white people yeah on the walls yeah it reminded me actually that um i I was taking abby my daughter as you know uh she was going on university visits years ago um and we went into one massive famous university okay and it was in this grand hall and i looked around and there were all these um paintings of like old white folk um and what they'd done was get some like photos of uh, diverse in inverted commas people basically no. black and brown people yeah um and just shoved them up there next to them and it was so cringy it was yeah so i, I understand what they were trying to do but it it just felt really forced yeah. so yeah so i mean the, the the importance i suppose that we see role modeling um you know you can't underestimate that no and but then there does have to be that authenticity because you know we hear about organizations that you know they want their talent and attraction um piece to be diverse and you know what they do is companies may round up people that they consider to be diverse um visibly Mm -hmm. um so you've got people of color then that are photographed and then put on recruitment websites but the reality is that you haven't actually got a diverse workforce no and they left five minutes ago straight after because it was a horrendous culture yeah and it was a terrible experience being dragged in like cattle to be photographed and interesting annika's uh takeaway which was open your mind Mm. i like that yeah and I think our guests are all having something similar in terms of what they say and talk about and I feel like education no matter who you are your age demographic it is important yeah yeah you can find us on twitter our handles are in the show notes below and if you've liked what you've heard please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically thanks for listening